You're listening to How to Win Friends and Save the Republic, a podcast from the National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers. I'm your host, Andy Moore. My guest today is Elizabeth Clayroy. Elizabeth grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, where she helped knock doors for candidates long before she could vote. She attended Columbia University, where she studied urban studies and political science, and later attended the Massachusetts Institute of Technology for a master's degree in urban planning. Elizabeth served as a policy advisor and director of grassroots governance for Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick. She then became the founding deputy director of the Opportunity Nation program at a Boston-based nonprofit named Be the Change. Eventually, Elizabeth moved back to New York City, serving as chief strategy officer and later as chief of staff for Phipps Neighborhoods, which is the oldest and largest not-for-profit developer, owner, and manager of affordable housing in New York City. Beginning in January of 2021, Elizabeth became the CEO of Generation Citizen, which is an organization working across the country to ensure that every student in the U.S. receives an effective action civics education. She's also the co-author of Shaping Vibrant Cities, which is a guidebook on effective community-led urban planning, which is based on her participatory governance work in Bangalore, India, earlier in her career. Welcome to the program, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. We're so excited to have you. Um, I, I will say for our listeners in full disclosure, I'm on the local board of Generation Citizen here in Oklahoma, which is one of your project states. Uh, and so I am coming to this with an opinion that it's an excellent organization because I've seen the work. I've seen it change lives. I've seen it change policy in our state. Uh, and I'm very excited to have you on here because for a lot of our listeners, these are the kinds of programs, the kinds of organizations that are inspiring and to help, um, I mean, honestly, bring about a better democracy in our country. So uh, I'm excited just to have you here uh, for that. Well, thanks so much. And, um, and and I'm glad that you have had a chance to um, engage with um, experiential civics in action, because being with young people who are participating um, in um, this program um, and in high quality civics work around the country, um, is some of the most hopeful, uh, you know, the most hopeful time you can spend. Um, and so uh, really glad you've had a chance to, to be part of that uh, in Oklahoma. I love that phrase, high quality civics work. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start using that. Um, I will start with, uh, for most of our guests, we like to start with uh, a little bit of conversation about how you come to this work, what it was like for you growing up. Now, in my research, preparing for this episode, I saw it noted, I think in several different places that you were uh, an active political volunteer, uh, while you're even as a child or as a, as a young person growing up. So I, I think it's safe to assume that your parents were also pretty active in civics uh, when you were growing up. What was it like in your home? Was politics, was civic action something that was discussed? 
It was, absolutely. I feel incredibly lucky to be um, both the, the child of educators and on my mother's side, grandchild of educators. Um, and my great aunt, as I only recently learned, um, was um, a, a, a civic educator. In fact, she was a teacher. Of course, she taught uh, in the 50s and 60s um, in a, a school in North Carolina. It was called Social Problems. Um, and, it, and so I absolutely um, come from um, a rich legacy of educators who are also in their own personal lives deeply committed to strengthening their communities. Um, you know, as an African-American um, woman who grew up in a, in a family that um, saw the civil rights movement um, as a continuing struggle um, for justice, um, it was always assumed that one would spend some of our time, you know, thinking about, okay, how do we uh, continue the march towards greater equality, greater justice, um, or just greater care for those around us. Um, and so I absolutely credit my parents with, with having started me on a, a really powerful foundation. What was interesting was I didn't necessarily see those values as mirrored in school. And while I was really animated about um, community engagement, got you know inspired by different elected officials I would hear, loved the notion of voting far before I could vote and so got involved with voter registration drives. Um, in school, I actually was really shy. I was just, I was a really introverted, introverted kid and, um, even in history class, where I actually had lots of opinions, lots of thoughts, and lots of questions, I was really, um, you know, kind of too uh, too quiet um, to to vocalize them. And I felt so lucky uh, that I there was a really incredible teacher, um, Mr. Lewis Bryant, who was a high school teacher at the time and one of the few African American teachers at our school. Um, who noticed me um, in middle school and really helped bring me out of my shell. And he did that by talking to me about what was interesting me, what I saw on the news and what I was getting passionate about in, um, in, in our community um, and helping me find a way to make that a part of my identity in school. And he really pushed me to, to give a speech. Um, I was too shy to raise my hand in class, but he pushed me to give a speech in front of the entire school. And that moment changed my life. And so that's part of why I actually feel like it's so important that we support teachers to help unlock that uh, agency and interest that young people have in the world around them and make sure that they know that those are skills and ideas that's energy you can bring into school that makes you a great student if you can bring that same sense of curiosity um, and, uh, and and even frustration with what's going on in the world um, and, and to be able to channel that in a healthy way, um, I think is the power of great teachers, great social studies teachers. Um, and I'm really grateful that uh, he was able to unlock that for me because I think that was important for um, my continued success and, and career. That's such an amazing story. And, and, and I know from, uh, you know, reading your uh, resume uh, and, and kind of learning about your history, you've had a series of equally amazing, uh, I think, career experiences, both in the United States and overseas. And I'd like to just touch on some of that time you spent in, in India um, doing urban planning. And and I'm, I'm curious how your experiences uh, there shape your understanding and your approach to civic engagement here in the U.S. 
Thanks for that question. You know, one of the things I feel really lucky about, and I remember showing up at Columbia University as an incoming freshman um, and talking to some older students just about what I was interested in. And I was probably talking about politics and, and talking about, um, you know, issues around justice and economic justice, um, which was a, a real priority for me at the time. And then they were saying, what are you going to major in? I said, political science, of course. <laughs> and I had a number of students wiser than me who said, you know what, what you care about and, and you're thinking about these issues um, around deep democracy and around justice. That's not always happening in the political science space, but they are talking about that in the interdisciplinary field of urban studies. And what I loved about urban studies is, um, and in the field of planning, is I believe that that is a space and a discipline, both academically and in practice, that has been pushed by community leaders. It has been pushed to make sure that its best ideas and its approach are more participatory and recognize that community members have the wisdom and have the role to say, here's what we want our neighborhoods to look like. Here's what we want our streets and sidewalks and drains or our housing um, or our zoning rules to look like so that we can have communities in which we can thrive. Yes, there's a, a, a set of um, tools and resources um, that urban planners um, learn to use to help but urban planners are not meant to be um, the sole designers of communities. No, in fact, urban planners have the opportunity to create open, collaborative, participatory processes that invite community members and neighbors of all ages to inform the future of their communities. And so I felt really lucky to, to learn that um, in practice as a volunteer, um, initially with the, an organization called Janagraha in Bangalore, which was focused precisely on that. At the time when I moved there, 2002, Bangalore was the fastest growing city in the entire world. Um, it was so exciting to be there. Um, what that also meant though, was that the city was growing faster than longtime residents felt that they were able to keep up. And they were seeing huge, shiny, um, you know, uh, campuses um, from the, the largest kind of multinational uh, tech companies going up on, you know, in different parts of town. And yet their sidewalks still had cracks in them. And yet the issues they had been concerned about in terms of their drainage were never being solved. And so we worked to uh, create opportunities and pathways around participatory planning that could bring local community members more into touch with uh, local government decision making. Um, I had a chance to spend two years there and there were two of the best years of, of my life, not just my career, but really incredible time that I spent there. Um, and the passion that I have for a participatory planning and, and participatory policy making and participatory governance in general um, really were fostered there um, in a powerful way. I think they em emerged from a, a sense of, um, of justice and equity um, that, I, that I gained from my parents, that I gained from uh, the, uh, the Black civil rights tradition in the US. Um, but for me, um, they were practiced um, first in my time in, in Bangalore. And I felt really lucky um, to be able to both document some of that work um, but also to be able to carry that approach and, and interest in participatory approaches 
in every part of my career, whether or not it was in the job title or not, I have always seen myself as being interested in weaving um, different processes to uh, encourage more community participation and decisions. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after a word from some of our sponsors. If you're interested in learning how to win friends and save the Republic, then you should know about Reformers Unite, a new virtual networking event hosted by Nanner, the National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers. Each month, Nanner sets aside a couple of hours solely dedicated to helping our members share updates about their organizations and to build deeper connections between Nanner members throughout the country. Reformers Unite happens on Fridays and is only available to Nanner members. So get on over to nonpartisanreformers.org and become a member today. Are you tired of the politics of division and deadlock? Do you want to do something about it, but you don't know where to start? CitizenConnect.us is your way to learn about and engage with over 400 organizations who are dedicated to helping Americans right, left, and center work together to heal our democracy. Find the organization or event that speaks to you and help us get back to making our great nation work because it only works when we work together. Learn more at citizenconnect.us. All right, and now back to the show. You know, I, I, I love the use of the term participatory. One, it's just fun to say that word, but also it implies action, right? Like an engagement and, and a, 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 a sense of agency for the person, which is great. Uh, it's a great fit for Generation Citizen, which teaches action civics, uh, and I think conveys a sense of participation into into students. Can you maybe give us uh, a, a bit more of an insight into what action civics is, and and honestly, just the work of Generation Citizen in, in promoting that? Absolutely. Um, so, so you're you're precisely right. We at Generation Citizen are focused on making sure that young people, middle schools and high schools, um, are our partners in this work. Um, we believe that high school students um, are that students are well positioned to make positive contributions to their communities um, by engaging in. Um, a, what we call action civics. Um, in action civics, students debate, build consensus around issues that personally affect them in their communities. Um, we begin where uh, teachers uh, really set the tone for a democratic classroom where students have the opportunity to share ideas um, and, um, and, and then begin to build consensus. Their young people are paying attention to the world around them, um, both in school environment, but also on their walk or bus ride home, uh, on their weekends, um, in, and as we know for, for high school students, sometimes in their work and in their caregiving responsibilities. And so they are naming issues um, that are sometimes hyper-local, things that are going on in the school, but sometimes they're talking about issues that, that are at the community or state level. And so we focus on them identifying the issues that matter most to them. Then students research and analyze the root causes of the issue that they select. And once they've identified the root cause, not just the surface issue, but what's really at the core of it, they develop an action plan for how they can make change, right? So if the issue that they're concerned about 
um, is littering in a public park. It's not enough for them to say, okay, when we're at the park, we're gonna tell the people near us, hey, don't litter. They have to look at what are the resources available at the local parks department to address the you know, high quality sanitation in the parks, right? Or what are the resources um, available um, at the city level or town level overall to the parks department. Maybe the parks department has been defunded for, for years and years. So they look at the root causes so they can develop their action plan. Then they put, and this is all happening in one semester, they put those plans into action. They meet with legislators or um, the uh, you know, appointed officials um, who are at the parks department, or they meet with staff who are working on um, local issues at the city. Their teachers, of course, are helping them. When they identify those priority issues, the teachers might help put them in touch, give them the email address of the person who they need to contact. But the young people are at the front. They're writing opinion pieces. They're doing participatory action research so that they can inform their policy um, that they are recommending with the felt conditions of both fellow students um, and their neighbors. Um, and then after they have um, sought to uh, you know, present this information um, and advocate for issues with the, the key targets of that action, um, they can present their action plan to a wider range of community leaders um, and to fellow classmates, um, teachers, and the wider school community at Civics Day. Sometimes Civics Day is done um, with just a couple of schools. Sometimes Civics Day is an event that includes hundreds of classes um, of students in a community, all presenting their ideas in, in what is like a festival of democracy, um, <clears throat> where students are really sharing their vision um, around a set of issues um, that are facing the entire community. Um, we have community advisors, adults in the community who come and, and listen to the, the uh, presentations um, and you know, help students under, get feedback and understand where they can um, strengthen their proposals um, or who else they can advocate to, to to make change. And back in the classroom, students reflect um, and explore concrete ways to remain active and politically engaged citizens. And at the end of this, we really see two positive results, right? One is that the students have developed civic skills, civic knowledge, and strengthened their civic disposition, and they've become better critical thinkers. So we have, you know, the, our team is made up primarily of educators, and we're focused on making sure that students who participate in, in Generation Citizen leave as really well-equipped, strong um, students around social studies. But we also have the other incredible benefit of this, which is positive change to the community. Um, and that's something that we are equally proud of, um, is the way in which students through the Generation Citizen and Action Civics Project have the chance to identify and make change on issues that matter to them. Yeah, man, I, I will say from my experience with Civics Day uh, and working with students uh, here in Oklahoma, it has been fascinating from the very beginning to see students identify issues in their community, right? Whether it's uh, arsenic in the water, whether it's, uh, you know, female incarceration rates, whether it's uh, inadequate school funding, um, real, I mean, honest to God, like hard hitting issues that affect their community uh, and do that root cause analysis and identify 
um, the problem, uh, how it got there, and what they can do to fix it, and then start doing it. And so the number of of conversations with elected officials at all levels, from the city, the county, the state, um, the number of, of policies um, uh, that have been changed and, and just conversations that have been started, um, it it's hard to imagine. The, the first one I walked in and, you know, we had a group at the state capitol and we were going uh, table to table kind of hearing their, their presentations. And it felt like uh, a, a recap of the state legislative session because so many of the issues that the students identified were things that had been addressed, even the state capitol, but most of the public may not have known, right? Not everyone is, is super tuned in. And so to see uh, a generation of, of people already getting involved was very encouraging to me. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm so glad you raised that point because there are, you know, the students are on their own identifying these issues, right? Generation Citizen and their teachers don't um, provide any um, direction as to the issues uh, that they identify that is fully student-led and yet the students absolutely are identifying some of the same priority issues um, that everyone in our community is grappling with right homelessness um, and, and economic um, challenges um, issues of uh, related to um, COVID-19 and, and health um, are issues that have come up uh, issues related to uh, pollution um, and whether that's on the hyper-local level, like littering, as I mentioned, or on the global level in terms of climate change. What I think is also really important is that students are also identifying a set of things that sadly aren't being talked about in state legislatures because we do sometimes have issues of, of, of adultism in this country, right? Where um, because young people aren't yet um, eligible to vote, um, because they don't um, yet hold um, as much kind of positional power, that the issues that matter most to them sometimes don't get the media attention and don't get attention from elected officials who might be twice their age. And so we have to listen when they're talking about teen drug abuse. We have to listen when they're talking about issues of vaping. We have to listen when we're talking about um, uh, the working age um, and whether or not, as some of our students have identified, they think the working age should be younger because they want opportunities to support their family. Um, but they have rich debates about that with their fellow students. Um, and so it is, um, and they raise questions as well about healthy lunches in schools, right? So issues that um, both are top of mind um, and on the front pages of our local papers are the kinds of things they talk about, but they're also lifting up a set of issues um, that those of us who um, are over 18 um, may not be thinking about, but we should be. Yeah. So over the well, the last couple of years, uh, we've had a, a global pandemic, right? COVID-19 hit schools across the country. Um, closing them down. In many places, the schools remain closed for months or even more than a year. Um, it's honestly a little hard to keep track because we're now in the third school year that's been affected by COVID, which is hard to wrap your brain around. Since Generation Citizen primarily works in schools, uh, this was obviously a challenge for you all. Um, how, how did you adjust? I know you have a program uh, that's called Democracy Doesn't Pause, that's related to this. Can you tell us a little bit about how how you as an organization have uh, have pivoted or have adjusted during the pandemic times? 
this has been um, uh, almost unfathomable time that, that we have been through. Um, and, and, and first and foremost, uh, you know, as we are um, a, a team of human beings. Um, and so the most important way in which we've pivoted is um, to make sure that we are um, prioritizing the um, health and wellness um, of, of our team um, and the uh, teachers um, and students uh, who we partner with. And so we, we really began by um, focusing on the, the human needs um, and, and making sure that that was first and foremost. Um, one of the things, you know, I feel very lucky that um, our dynamic team um, had already been able to make sure that all of our curriculum was available to be distributed um, in a remote environment um, and um, was able to ensure that we could support teachers who were now teaching in a fully remote or a hybrid environment. Um, by the spring of 2020. And so I'm grateful that we were able to ensure that democracy doesn't pause and that um, action civics could continue in classes that it had started if teachers were able to do that. Um, or the, in the, the last school year um, that we were able to have action civics continue in the many, the hundreds of schools that we partner with. Um, but, but we did more than that. And one of the things, you know, so we created additional free lessons plans for teachers um, as well as families and caregivers, right? Because we know um, as I do as a parent, um, that the role of families in uh, education last year was different. Um, and so wanted to make sure that um, on um, some of our core areas um, around lobbying a legislator or talking about the meaning of the census um, or thinking about how what a local ordinance is, that we both had materials for a teacher um, as well as a family activity. And this gave us a chance to begin to share some of our family activities um, in Spanish um, so that we could make sure that they would be available to, to um, an even uh, larger swath of, of American families. Um, the, but one thing I'll say on the, the per, coming back to the personal side that has been so important for us is I've heard from so many teachers that the uh, action civics class was uh, uh, even more powerful when students were in a remote environment because it is so engaging. It relies not just on uh, the curriculum is just the starting point, right? The core of the work is what the students are bringing into the class and sharing their ideas. And at a time when so many young people were feeling really isolated, were feeling um, a, a sense of a lack of power and control because of the conditions um, beyond them, um, that having a way for them to talk with each other about what was going on, um, and take on projects that were action oriented, even if they had to do them from home, gave them a sense of agency that was really important. Um, and so we believe that it was critical that we make sure that we could continue supporting uh, and coaching teachers to do this in the remote environment because it had that um, kind of social emotional benefit. And we're thrilled that our school partners continue to see us both as an academic resource and partner but also that the work of engaging young people and thinking about how do I fit into my community? How can I be an agent for positive change is also a social emotional uh, resource too. I, you know, I, you've done such a great job. Um, I think reiterating this point that I, I probably hadn't fully grasped myself until this conversation that 
I think so often what we talk about, particularly in democracy reform, uh, kind of in our ecosystem, our movement, are, are ideas, our policies that often are viewed as being academic or intellectual in nature. Uh, and what we need to realize, I think all of us at, at any of our members or other organizations that are working on democracy reform is that we're not just we're not just doing an intellectual exercise. Uh, we're not just rewriting some kind of uh, ethereal policy that will do something. We we are doing things that speak to how communities are formed, right? How we how we govern ourselves as a society. How we um, create opportunities for one another, uh, and how we come together to coordinate resources, to coordinate passions. Uh, and and how we how we help us right how we help ourselves move through history in a way that is um, sustainable that is respectful that conveys value and and purpose um, for all people uh, and you know so often I think we highlight these messages when we see it in children right and and not to be diminutive to <laughs> to teenagers or or high school students but when we you know, when we look and we recognize that um, people who don't yet have uh, the ability to vote, um, who don't yet have the same kind of autonomy or individual uh, freedoms that that most you know adults would recognize we have, um, we see it in those people uh, and and in students who take it upon themselves to become engaged and to to find change. Um, it it really stands out to us, and so looking at how we, I'll say we as adults, right? How we have structured our education system, how we've structured our organizations to respond to students uh, has been certainly highlighted in the last year. Um, the the good things and the flaws, right? And so this recognition from Generation Citizens perspective that this work that you're doing isn't just about teaching, it's about like, it's about community building, it's about raising uh, society up uh, is, I think, is a such a like deeply important salient point that many organizations um, would would be would benefit from kind of considering their own work from that perspective. Absolutely, and and right. I mean, I believe that civics education is not just kind of head work, but it's also heart work. Um, and you know, school is often like the first public square that students encounter right? That is where they form their identity separate and apart from their parents. Um, and so we feel like it's really important when GC teachers work with the curriculum, um, but also through the, the professional development, so they strengthen as teachers. So they can create an environment that's accepting and encouraging of all students and their ideas. The whole notion of democratic classrooms is that young people learn to work together effectively across lines of difference um, and discuss and deliberate the issues that are most important to them and their communities that has both the benefit of imbuing some you know, and, and helping them practice, you know, interpersonal skills and communication skills, but also boosting their sense of confidence and agency, um, which is one of the most important things that needs to happen in the teenage years um, and that carries uh, us forward um, into becoming fully formed adults who are ready not only to 
you know, continue our education, join the labor force, um, but join communities. Um, and we know we haven't always done that well um, as a country and that not all adults um, are fully realized in our sense of confidence in our own agency and communities. And so um, the importance of bringing that um, to young people and bringing it, I hope, to a whole generation of young people, not just in a few places, um, feels vitally important if we want to have a healthy and inclusive democracy. Mm, yeah. Aside from civics education, Generation Citizen also does some advocacy work uh, specifically around uh, the Vote 16 kind of project. It's a national initiative to extend voting rights to 16 and 17-year-olds uh, and often starts at the local level. Now, my understanding is that there's been some success with this in some cities, like in municipalities. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, and, and in this, you know, we're really proud to be a platform for um, young people uh, across the country who are interested in um, extending voter rights um, to 16 and 17 year olds. Um, and um, we took a huge step forward in 2020 election season as uh, voters in Oakland, California passed measure QQ um, with 68% uh, support, which extended voting rights to 16 and 17 year olds for school board elections. Um, that feels like the most, you know, a, a critical starting place for where young people should have um, um, the, the power of the vote um, is, is in school boards. Um, but there are also um, campaigns um, around the country to lower the voting age for all local elections um, and for um, even for federal elections. Um, we haven't had that, um, that success yet, um, but I'm really thrilled that there was um, the, the House of Representatives um, did consider um, an amendment. Um, and we certainly, and we saw 125 members of the House um, voting in favor um, of uh, an amendment um, for vote 16 um, in this recent year. And so um, the idea is growing, um, is deepening, um, and we know that um, it took a long time to get uh, suffrage from 21-year-olds to 18-year-olds um, and know that this will not happen overnight. Um, however, uh, I listen to um, the, you know 15 and 16 and 17-year-olds talk about the responsibilities that they have as workers, as caregivers, and as community members, and the responsibilities that they are ready to take on as voters um, and, and feel proud to find some ways to, to support that effort. Um, right now, we've actually um, just launched a research network in partnership with the University of Maryland um, that is um, really taking a look at uh, some of these campaigns and efforts um, across the country. Um, and uh, we hope creating more opportunities for young people to coordinate in this work together. Excellent. Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been really great. Thank you so much for having me. I so enjoyed the, the conversation and, and look forward to the chance to, uh, to talk again soon. My guest today has been Elizabeth Clay Roy, CEO at Generation Citizen. You can learn more and connect with them at generationcitizen.org. Thanks for listening to How to Win Friends and Save the Republic. This podcast is a program of the National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers. For more information about our organization and how you can join, please visit our website at nonpartisanreformers.org.
This podcast is brought to you by IVN.us, an open news platform for independent-minded authors and readers. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe to IVN.us where you listen to podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or iHeartRadio. Hey there, How to Win Friends listeners. It's Jillian Youngblood from The Purple Principle. Ever wonder how our country got so polarized? The rise of television news, the rise of social media, every single force is pushing us apart. How do we become less polarized? And this is a controversial one, is try to unblock people. And can independent-minded Americans bridge the divide? I think that there's value to having folks like me outside of the parties. Pull back the curtain on partisanship with The Purple Principle, wherever you listen to podcasts.